Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Matt Hicks, VP of Sales, part of the founding team at Vertice. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Excited to be here. Yeah, excited. We're going to have a great conversation here. I know it. So let's kick this off. Tell us a little bit about your background. So Matt Hicks, I've been working in startups for the last uh, 15 years of my career before joining Vertice. I was part of the founding team at an accounting API business called Kodats. We scaled that business up to about 300 people. I joined Vertice as part of the founding team just around two years ago now with the objective of helping finance and technology leaders to deploy capital more efficiently on their technology solutions. So a good time to be in that business. Yeah, because right, 2023, all about deploying capital efficiently, cash runways. So perfect timing with that, especially, you know, with my CFO background, love that language. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about Vertice products and their services does Vertice offer? Yeah, so we very deliberately don't describe ourselves as a SaaS company because it would be a bit mad for us to say, hey, buy our SaaS to solve all of your problems related to SaaS, which I always think is a bit funny. So we're a tech-enabled service provider, which helps finance and technology leaders to get greater visibility and control over their expenditure on technology. Specifically, I'm talking about SaaS and cloud. So we're not talking about hardware or anything on-premise because technology is obviously a broad term, uh, but it's anything which is... Uh, licensed on a recurring uh, basis, and yeah, and everyone kind of knows the the problems associated with some of those things. It's hard to know what a fair price should be. It's hard to get visibility into what is driving the cost. I think specifically for cloud, it's very difficult because they've got an incredible uh, way of billing their customers where they're building arrears, basically. And as a result, they've kind of cut out the traditional finance and procurement governance process. Effectively, if you have the ability to spin up a new service as a developer within the cloud, you can incur spend. And as a result, there's a whole new uh, paradigm. You, you, you probably come across it called FinOps, which is kind of enabling finance and uh, technology to collaborate more closely to ensure that they understand what's driving the cost and probably most importantly, the unit economics and the business outcomes that that spend is, is leading to. And, you know, Vertice's latest product, which is, you know, we're calling it CCO or cloud cost optimization, aims to do exactly that and to enable, you know, those folks who are maybe sitting in a finance function today, maybe they're in FP&A, but, you know, they're looking at the cloud's costs, sorry, the company's costs, and obviously headcount is a huge one, but for many tech companies, they've already cut that to the bone. And the next uh, category of spend, which is uh, still growing, uh, because if your company's still growing, generally your cloud costs are still going to be growing. And it's, you know, it's a spend category that's top of mind. Many of the CFOs that we're speaking to, it's getting that cloud spend under control, making sure the company has visibility and they understand what's driving the cost. And it's no longer just left in a black box where only the DevOps guys get to understand what's going on, right? Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. And I like, you know, it is a weird concept of SaaS trying to solve SaaS, you know, so the tech enabled services. And would you say, you know, now, you know, for CFOs, especially me, cloud spend is such a black box. 
you know, mm-hmm. where you have to retire, you know, rely on your dev team or your DevOps team or someone in IT to to tell me like, yeah, we are spending efficiently or not efficiently. And it's it's hard to know that. So I think obviously that's a big area for CFOs to focus on. And, you know, this category of product, you know, so are you focused on technology spend procurement in organizations plus cloud? Any other mm-hmm. expenses or is it mainly tech focused spend within companies? Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, the two main categories we focus on is cloud and SaaS. Often there's, you know, if you ask someone what you're spending on SaaS, cloud will be bundled in there. So like, there's no clearly defined kind of definition of this stuff, but it's cloud infrastructure. So we're mostly talking about AWS, GCP and Azure. There's a few others. And then the dozens and dozens of SaaS tools, which are licensed across every department within uh, a modern company, which they're using to automate workflows and various things within their teams. You know, engineering tends to be a big consumer of SaaS sales, obviously huge growth in the number of SaaS tools in, in, in sales. And as a result of them being sales tools, that's where we see the biggest disparity in pricing. Like it's crazy how it's so difficult to understand what a fair price should be for a seat for, a, you know, the typical sales tool and the delta from what the highest paying customer and the lowing payest customer is, is it's, you would blow your mind how, how, how big a difference there is. I'm sure. And, you know, I've run an annual tech stack report for the last four years. My fifth one is coming up here soon. And because just get those questions from founders all the time, what, what tech should I use? What's in use? Uh, you know, who are the pop and it varies by industry, right? SaaS, mm-hmm. say accounting software, very different from say manufacturing. So, mm-hmm. you know, really interesting to see where this space is going. So do you think where, how do you think this is going to, where do you see this trending? I mean, do you think this is going to make, you know, like the stock market, you know, you know, efficiency and data or efficiency and all that information that we have the best information available to, you know, to make, you know, judgment calls on the prices of stocks. And, you know, do you think you see that same thing happening with, with cloud, with software spend? Yeah, 100%. So I think Amazon came to market with AWS in 2006, 2007, maybe. So this is a, it's still a young market, but it's a market that's maturing. And due to the change in macroeconomic conditions, capital just got more expensive. There's a increased scrutiny on the cost base. And we all know, you know, what happened over the last couple of years with regards to folks losing their, losing their jobs, I think, you know, across a couple of thousand tech companies, there was almost you know, 400,000 people who lost their, their jobs in the tech sector, which was, you know, very, very sad to, to see. But now, you know, the, the number one thing that's top of mind for, for CFOs now is how do they get their cloud and their SaaS spend under control? And I think when, if you look at any market, when it reaches maturity, intermediaries typically step into the market in order to ensure it functions efficiently. Like if you look at the financial services markets or the automobile market, there's intermediaries, there's brokers, there's market makers, there's dealers. And those folks are there to ensure that the transaction is efficient and the buyer and the seller are getting a fair exchange of value. And I think the SaaS industry and the cloud industry has done a great job of selling direct and through resellers who are intermediaries, sort of, but resellers' incentive is aligned 
with the seller, not with the buyer. And I guess where Vertis is trying to do things a bit differently from the traditional cloud or SaaS intermediary is we do not have any commercial relationship with the vendor whatsoever. Our commercial relationship is with the buyer. And our job is to make sure the buyer is deploying their capital as efficiently as possible on cloud and they're buying the right tools at a fair price every time. And I think that's going to be very important for companies who, if they want to remain competitive in, a, in an environment where it's going to be harder to raise capital. And I think it's just a natural, it's just a natural time for the SaaS and the cloud industry to mature in lieu of any sort of formal regulations. I mean, there's some regulation around anti-competitive behavior, which we start to see creeping in with Microsoft being forced to unbundle teams over here in, in Europe. And I think we're going to see more of that where you have this kind of opaque bundling of ELAs, which is obviously designed to, you know, get the customer signed up. And so you can hike the prices once you've got them locked in. I think some of that, those kind of practices are, are maybe going to be looked at more closely by the regulator. But I think intermediaries like Vertice, who are trying to ensure that this market uh, scales more efficiently without you know this huge abundance of VC capital that has existed, which has led to a lack of discretion, a lack of scrutiny on this spend. I, I think these services are going to be going to be here to stay. And there's huge amounts of VC money going into our category because people are just realizing that the scale of the, the opportunity here. Yeah, it's a really interesting, hot, hot category, and and I consider kind of relatively new. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And so you were with Vertice early on. When was Vertice founded? Yeah, so Vertice uh, was founded a couple of, couple of years ago. Now, one of the big pull factors for me coming to this business was the pedigree of the founders. So the founders, the original founders are Roy and Eldar Tuvi, their brothers, as you can probably guess. And they've been running and scaling SaaS businesses successfully for 20 years. So they've, they've been around in the dot-com era, weathered the storm there with their first company, which was a company called ScanSafe. They ended up selling that company to Cisco. I think it was 2010. And then they built another cybersecurity SaaS business called Wondera. And they sold Wondera to Jamf a couple of years ago now, just before they founded Tease for 400 million. So these are a very rare breed of founders who have built and exited two businesses, you know, tremendous, tremendous exits of, of, of two businesses. And that was, you know, the key reason for me coming to join because I, you know, previously worked at some very technical companies for some very talented developers, but wanted to come and learn and, and, and be surround, you know, surround myself with some, some guys who had kind of been there and done that. And, you know, so far that decision has been, you know, has been the right one because we've, you know, the product market fit was, you know, instant. The timing, which I think is so often overlooked by founders and investors, like you've got to be in the right place at the right time. Trying to fling, trying to sell this product a couple of years ago, people are like, I don't care. We've got 50 million in VC. We don't, you know, we need software to help us automate. And it was almost like the attitude when the market was in growth mode was like, what's the cost of slowing down? I need these tools now. I need to implement them so I can go faster than my competition. Whereas the market is no longer in growth mode for most people, maybe if you're an AI, it still is. The market is in efficiency mode and it's all about reaching profitability and generating free cash flow. And I think as a result, that's created a huge tailwind for me and my team in the commercial function because 
they already have a project to work out how they're going to reduce expenditure in this area. But it's, di it's difficult because a lot of the time you don't have visibility. You've bought all these licenses and you've bought, you know, uh, enterprise discount plans from AWS, but it's hard to get visibility. You have dependency on people who may longer no longer be with the business. Uh, and I think where, you know, there's increasing demand for having somebody, a third party who's contracted to provide this stuff to you, who, you know, who isn't an employee, who's a, who's a partner that you're, that you're paying to, to provide you with that visibility, to provide you with recommendations and to help you to ensure that every dollar is being, is being employed efficiently. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. And where, where are you guys located? Do you have a physical location? Yeah, so we're HQ'd in London, as some of your listeners may have detected in my accent, but we're a very global organization. We've got people on the West Coast, in Seattle, and San Francisco. We've got a big team in New York. We've got folks in Australia. We've got a very fast-growing Spanish team, a French team, a German team. So we've been very fortunate because the founders' track records meant that we were able to raise capital in a market that was kind of on the way down. I think at the top, had, we'd reached the top maybe of the craziness sort of during the pandemic and the market was starting to come down, but they were able to raise a significant amount of funding pre-revenue, which is very unusual in Europe. I know it's a little bit more common in, in Silicon Valley, but it's very unusual to see a company raising the, the quantum of capital we raised pre-revenue. So it was a $26 million uh, kind of pre-seed, if you like. And that has enabled us to capitalize on the timing, which I mentioned earlier, which is like people are looking at these kind of projects now and they're picking partners now or they're hiring procurement now or they're hiring FinOps now to help them to achieve these business outcomes. And obviously we're presenting ourselves as, a, as an option as well. Yeah, and we'll talk capital in a second. And do you know what, what's your current team size? So we are about 150-ish now, I think, maybe give or okay. take 10 people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, around 150. And then tell us a little bit about your go-to-market motion. I know when I've talked to other players in this space, you know, they have certain employee ranges that they go after. Maybe it's 50 to 500, you know, and, and tell us a little bit about your go-to-market and your ICP. Yeah, completely. So the ICP is something that we obsess over and it's a moving target because we believe that in order to scale this business to 100 million in ARR within you know four years or five years, you have to go where the spend is. And the spend is with larger companies. However, you're not going to sell to enterprise companies when you don't have any track record. So we were very fortunate that when we were getting this business off the ground and, you know, taking our first cohort of 100 clients through the product and getting feedback on the software and building up our intelligence and benchmarking within this domain, most of the clients were smaller. So I would say under a thousand people, but more than a hundred. So kind of in that scale, mm -hmm. so I would say kind of series B plus ish kind of companies, mostly venture backed or PE backed, but we're now starting to see that change and we have a an enterprise team and you know we've got a growing number of customers who are publicly listed entities who have tried to do some of this stuff in-house but that they've been unsuccessful because either you know often because they can't retain the talent either the cloud engineers or like the most accomplished technology procurement professionals there isn't there just isn't that many of these individuals and as a result of that supply demand uh, equation those people tend to go where they can get paid 
the, the best. And as a result, a large majority of the population of companies that we're dealing with, they just can't attract the talent, either on the cloud side or the procurement side. And as you know, so so they're, they're, they're looking to third parties like Bertice to help them. So we, we're servicing a, a plethora of clients, we kind of have you know, a, a divide and conquer strategy within the GTM team where each team has their own ICP and they obsess over that ICP and provide feedback to products to make sure that we're able to, to service those ICPs as best as possible. But I would say the direction of travel is we're moving up market. And I think a lot of the really big companies now, they have FinOps and they have, they have the resources and they've made the investment in large procurement teams and some of them have you know four or five IT category managers who are managing their spend but you know finops and procurement is not something that should be reserved for large companies only right it's just it's just something that companies don't tend to hire for until they're like i don't know maybe 5 to 800 people people you start to see procurement hires popping up and you start to see finops hires popping up but it's such an important function in in a market where you need to make every dollar count having the ability to do technology procurement well and to do FinOps well, I think is going to become a necessity. So we're putting a, you know, our, our sales team through FinOps uh, practitioner training courses so that they can be well-versed uh, when they're speaking to C-level executives about, you know, how we, how we can help them solve this uh, problem, which, yeah. you know, it can't be solved by traditional traditional approach because of the the problem I described earlier. These technology companies have got so good at billing people and charging people and getting them to buy new seats and modules and overages that it's impossible to to take a traditional approach here. So going after say companies from a hundred employees to maybe publicly listed, do you, is it different? Is it outbound motion, inbound motion? Is this mainly outbound motion to reach you know those those decision makers in those companies? Yeah, yeah. So inbound is growing. We all, you know, when, when you know, this time last year, I think inbound was less than ten percent. I would say it's closer to thirty percent now, and that's you know we're building our brand and we have a a very strong content marketing strategy. In fact, I would point your listeners to a, a piece of research we published recently, which was we interviewed finance and technology leaders at, uh, at 600 leading scale-up companies to get their perspective on some of the topics that we've been discussing so far. And there's an interesting difference in how CFOs and CTOs are thinking about these things. So happy to, to drop your link after the call. But it's yeah, uh, I think in terms of that, like the the size of companies we work with, it you know that's changing all the time because as we build confidence and we build product capability, the service obtainable market increases because the size and maturity of the companies that we can work with is growing all the time, and ultimately. You know, the way our fee structure works is like it's based on how much spend they're putting through our our platform, right? So you almost hamstring yourself a little bit if you're capping your ICP. And, you know, we certainly have a a plan next year to really scale up in, in the enterprise segment. And then switching to the capital front, you mentioned 26 million raised. Is that total capital raised to date at this point? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And you were there early on, and obviously the founders have a background, serial entrepreneurs, which helped, you know, probably raise some of the capital with their prior experience. So what was that progression? So if 26 million raised today, was that, it sounded like you mentioned that was pre-revenue. So you had the concept, the idea, and then they went to pitch investors with really out without a product to show. 
Yeah, I mean, they, you know, when I joined, they already had, you know, an MVP and they had a team of, of, of developers who were working on that MVP. There's no point in hiring commercial folks if there's nothing to if there's nothing to go to the market with so i think the sequencing they you know they 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 they, they got they got right but yeah i mean the, the the fundraise was off the back of the founders reputation and track record of building and scaling businesses successfully so and i think you know we're ahead of budget we're like meeting all of our targets like i said i think the timing of this proposition is 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 is, is really great and it's top of mind for a lot of for a lot of folks so where you know, we're generating cash and we're generating more revenue than we expected to. But yeah, and yeah, I think we have plans to grow significantly in 2024. So it's an exciting time to to be at Vitis. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially, yeah, I love this category. So as a couple more questions before we wrap up. And, and do you have, you know, this could be overall for the company or just for your team. What's a favorite number or metric that you're currently focused on? metrics that we focus on so like the number one metric i think which gives me confidence in what is going to happen over the next three to six months is uh, a pipe gen metric called it's called sao it's often referred to as sql or mql which is a basically you know how many qualified leads are going through the top of the funnel and the reason why you know i obsess about this metric is like if you if you can't if you don't know how you know if you don't know what's going at the top of the funnel then you know if you if you can control that and get that predictable the rest of the stuff is tweaking conversions and working out how to win against the competition and making sure you're presenting proposals which are appealing to to customers i feel like all of that is solvable but if you don't have the sao going in the top then it's very difficult to to scale a business right so it's a very simple concept but i think so often overlooked by founders and commercial leaders like work out how to get predictable pipe and the metric that we care about most of Vertice is, is is that one still to this day, two years, two years in. And yeah, just making sure after that, it's just a process of continuously iterating and refining your marketing and your sales process to make sure that you're converting those ops, right? Yeah, no, we know every 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 company would love to have that predictable top of the funnel and of course increasing, increasing velocity there. So appreciate that insight. So what's what's coming up next, Matt, as we wrap up here? Appreciate you sharing your experience and insights. You know, what's next for for Tease or maybe this category? Where do you see things going in the next year or two? Yeah, it's been a really interesting watching like what our competitors are up to. And you know, Vertis is we were a one product company for a long time. We we had a SaaS purchasing product. So you're probably familiar with some of the players in the US. There's Bender and Tropic and a, a handful of others. So we were very much sort of competing with them. We were kind of the European one, although we've always been in the US as well. But we've gone from a one product company to a two product company now. So we've got SaaS purchasing or SaaS procurement. And now we've got continuous, sorry, cloud cost optimization. And we have a completely different set of competitors for cloud cost optimization because it's a very specialist area. So there's, you know, a bunch of guys. If you look up, you know, go on G2, there's a whole category with a bunch of different people. But there's no one player in the market that's doing both together. And the reason why it's very powerful to do both together, remembering that our commitment to our customers is we're going to help you to deploy your capital as efficiently as possible. If you understand 
how people are using their cloud and what commitments they're making to their cloud provider, you can actually procure some of the SaaS tools via the marketplaces and use, I guess, credits from those uh, discount plans to license some of the some of the SaaS. So rather than having an underutilized discount plan with your cloud, you can just say, okay, well, you know, you should aim to have like 80% utilization, maybe a bit higher, maybe 90. And then whatever your credits you've got left over, you can just buy some of the SaaS you're buying over here with whatever you're not using. And when you have all of the data in one place, all of the SaaS data, all of the cloud data, we can provide very credible recommendations on how companies can be as close to 100%. In some cases, you don't want to be 100% utilized because you need the elasticity to, to scale up and down, but certainly more efficient than people are today. And the stats are shocking. A third of SaaS seats are never used. So a third of SaaS is like completely wasted or shelfware, I think is the terminology people use. And 32% of cloud spend is, 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 is redundant as well. You know, that's, if you look at the numbers, I mean, the cloud industry is worth 450 billion now, I think. I think SaaS is 300 billion. You, astonishing amounts of wastage in this industry. And, you know, we feel good about uh, doing our bit to, to help reduce that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's going to be a big category. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how that shifts this industry or if you have some some folks or competitors chasing you guys. So, Matt, really appreciate your time today and sharing your experience. If listeners would like to learn more about Vertice, where should we send them online? So it's www.vertice.one. You can also find not just what we say about ourselves, but you can find us on G2 and other places like that to listen to what our customers are saying about us too. And, you know, I'm delighted to say that the feedback from the market has been, has been really great so far. So. Yeah, that's great. That's exciting. So if you'd like to learn more about Vertice and Matt, check out Vertice.one and of course, check out their new product cloud optimization. So Matt, really appreciate your experience and, and sharing your time today. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks.